Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. We're back in the bunker with your host, Alex Gore, and our water boy, Lance Psycho. Water boy! If you don't, if you don't stay hydrated, it's hard to fight the war, Al. Very true. Very true. In the Army, we... Uh, it, it, God, what did they used to yell at us? Oh, it was it was drink water, and then you'd all have to repeat it, and then you'd have to chug your canteen, and it was actually kind of hard to chug your canteen like two times a day. That would be hard. Yeah, <clears throat> but because they're like you, you only got time between bullets. <laughs> exactly, that's the only time getting shot. Um, want to make sure you're de- <laughs> not hydrated so you don't pass out, and then you flunk out of basic training, and then you get kicked out, and then you're not in the army. So that's that's how it works. So speaking of being be in the army, you can be in the uh, Revit Rocket Ship Army. Oh, you should be. By you'll be a, a first class general within three working days. You'll go from a private to I would say like a, a lieutenant. Yep. In three days, if you take it straight, you can complete the course in three days, and it goes everything from uh, families to doing your own project, like doing doing a project, so that you know how to you follow along and you do a project, and then how to start your own project. Plus, giving you the template that we've developed in our firm for years. So, go to RevitRocketShip.com. Go from a private to a general. Al, I don't know if you know this, but we're already months in 2020. But it's not too late to meet your goal of increasing your firm's, our firm's, productivity this year. ArcCat has the tools any size firm needs to compete, whether it's using ArcCat's powerful search to find product data, downloading high-quality specifications, getting the right BIM for your model, or using the patented spec wizard to configure a specification in minutes. Best of all, it's free to use and requires no registration. So, Al, I'm asking you, go to arcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com and start building better content today. Last but not least... If you're going to buy a computer, we recommend you get one from Dell. Dell is always running sales, always running discounts, always looking out for you because they want to get market share. And to dominate market share, guess what? They're going to have competitive prices and a great product. So, uh, but you can you you can even beat what they're normally giving everyone else. Because if you go to dell.com forward slash inside the firm, you click save now, you put in your email address, at a minimum, they give you 5% off what they're, they're already, they're already discounts. So please do that. It helps support us. It helps support you. It helps support the world. It helps support your mom somehow and your grandma. helps your grandma. So do that, and that's all I got for you. <clears throat> now today, let's kick it off. Lance, where are we now? Are we in a, uh, a V-shaped dip? Are we in a recession? Or are we in a depression? And if you're listening to this, when you, you know, not immediately at this moment in the, in, in the crisis, I think this thought experiment still applies. So where are we at, Lance? My honest opinion is we are in a short V-shaped recovery that is then going to be, we're going to see another dip in the market because I, I just started day trading this last, uh, in the last two weeks. It's been pretty fun actually. Uh, and I, what I got in, I got in on the very last dip and then there was this just 
massive recovery in, in the stock stock market that went from 21,000 to 24th, about 24th, a little over 24,000. And I was like, I, this isn't this, I don't think this is real because you start seeing all the numbers that come out about unemployment at 17 million. Um, and then, you know, then, then the rate of unemployment and how many businesses might fail. And I'm like, I think this is just a euphoric response to it looking a lot better in New York city and the virus um, starting to taper off, at least we're, we seem like we're plateauing, especially in Colorado. Uh, there's been some good numbers coming out. But once the economic reality of everything else going on hits, then I think there's a dip. But I can't speak to recession or depression. Maybe you can now. Okay, I'll speak to it. And, and here's two points. One, uh, my neighbor, he's a website developer. He's not laid off, but his firm laid off a whole bunch of people. And what a bunch of people think that are optimistic, and I could be optimistic, it could be a V-shaped little dip, little hump, is people talk about what does it take to restart the economy? I actually think restaurants will come back. I think people will love to go back up to restaurants. I can't wait to go eat. I'm so I'm so over yep. every night at the house. I think Home Depot will be fine. People are going to love to make gardens, things like that. Yep. Um, but what about people who have websites and go, ah, oh, do I really need to, you know, like I canceled that ongoing maintenance contract and it's good for a while. So I'll just leave it for three, four months. Do I need to hire that other person? Like, no, maybe I don't. Maybe I need to be more lean. And that's going to be the hard part of restarting the economy. So that leads to a recession. The next thought is Ray Dalio, Bridgewater Capital, biggest capital firm in the United States. He, I, I, I got a message from, from Google. Ray Dalio says we're in a depression. And I go, this is probably clickbaity. I'm going to go listen to the whole thing. Yeah. So it was like Ted from his TED, TED Talk. His TED Talk, yeah. Yeah, but but not his TED talk. Like they just interviewed him. Like the people who put oh, on TED I is see, like, hey, let's call up the guy who runs the biggest thing. Yeah. And the, and he goes, we're in a depression. And and I go, they probably just took that out of context. So I'm gonna listen to what he actually says. So he says, where are we? He goes, I've been studying the history, and he's actually been studying history before this. And I, I sent you an article, Lance, that you read that was pretty good. Yeah. Um. But he he's actually been studying history for the past like year and a half. And he says, what happens now, what what happened right now was a tsunami. And now we're dealing with the ramifications of that tsunami. And he goes, the responses have been massive stimulus and massive unemployment. He goes, we have seen those before, 1930s. We have exactly seen those before. And then they kind of push him again. And this is where I expected him to go like, but it's not going to be like the last one, blah, 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 and just be all like happy dory. And, and he goes... He goes, he, he kind of doubles down and he goes, this is one of those 70 to 90 year cycles where the fundamentals of the economy change, the fundamentals of money change. And he goes, there's going to be a bunch of restructuring. He goes, I think we'll get through it fine. He goes, but there's going to be liquidity issues. Um, there's going to be people that don't have access to capital in other countries and the ramifications, um, will take a while to sort out. He goes, I think it'll only take three years to sort out, maybe sooner. But three years to me and you, I don't have three years saved up, right? So the point of this whole exercise is that we don't know, and I don't know if too many people know, if we are in a V-shaped dip, a recession, or a depression. So that leads, what should you do? Before we get into that though, Al, 
Is it is it Ray Dalio? What coronavirus means for the global economy? Turn, turn like, your screen around so I can see. Well, is it a is it a girl it, interviewing a woman interviewing him? A girl. It's Ted. It's uh, it's on the Ted channel, and it was on April 9th, twenty twenty. Yeah, was that yesterday? I yeah. So I assume it's got to be that. Oops, I gotta do that or we'll get something. There we go. And I gotta wait for the uh, skip ad, stupid ad. Yes. Yep, yep that's it. That yep. is it. Uh, I listen to it at, they talk slow, so like one and a half speed. Yeah, so just to just to repeat what that was, uh, let me see here. What the heck did I have it up as? What is it called? What coronavirus means for the global economy. Ray Dalio, D A L I O on YouTube. Check that out. Check that out. Okay, so we don't know. Where we are, I don't think most people do. What do you do? We've already discussed multiple streams of income. Becoming a contractor, becoming a developer, things like that. We've talked about students branching out. So I did find uh, Teachable is where we have Revit Rocket Ship. And they sent me a list of free courses right now. Um, and you can get, it's called One Month Programming for Non-Programmers. So Teachable find their free courses, one month programming for non-programmers. Put that in. If you can't find it, learn how to Google. Don't ask me. Figure it out. <laughs> um, it is absolutely free right now. There's 64 lessons. You can look at everything that they teach you, all that. So if we didn't want to leave you hanging, um, so there definitely is resources for that. Now I'm going to talk about two, two things that Lance and I are going to talk about. I think there's that, that you can do. One is getting lean. So what does that mean to you, Lance? How can firms get lean? Well, I saw Alex sent an email out to our bookkeeper this morning. Shout out Penny. Uh, that he he was asking about what are our biggest expenses besides payroll and insurance so that we can understand about what does it mean to strip those down if we need to. So I think just taking a look at your financial statement, if you're not using FreshBooks or QuickBooks, we use QuickBooks. I know Mark over at the Entree Architect uses FreshBooks and a lot of other architects. It doesn't matter. Just some kind of accounting software. You should be using it. And if you are, you should be able to pull some monthly reports pretty quickly, especially if you have a bookkeeper. I hope you're not doing it on your own. I think everybody should just have a bookkeeper, even if you're a solo firm. Good yeah. Lord. Um, and understand, just break it down. What like what are we spending our money on? How, how, can we, how can we strip that down? Is there any way we can make it ourselves more efficient? So, Is that what you're looking for? Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. I even thought last night the baby was actually being nice, but I couldn't. Wow, finally. I know, I know. But I couldn't sleep <laughs> because I was thinking about this stuff. And I, I had, in my truck is about 20K worth of equity, right? Because it's worth more than, than what I'm paying on it. Yeah. So I go, man, should I trade in my truck for like a fuel efficient thing? And then I thought like, no, not only do I have to move that pile of stone right there that we have in, in our shop, but we're building right now. And the amount that my truck gets borrowed from the firm people to go pick up lumber, to go move stuff, to go put things in the back, it's actually, it's actually useful. But like, that's where my, my brain was thinking. Like that's, that's what I'm thinking. But you don't, the, you don't want to get caught in that. You don't want to get so lean that you undercut yourself. Yeah. And that's probably the, the well, story. Here's a perfect example. I, there was a last week or something, I think. We are, we are, we, the guys have been, uh, our two construction uh, fellows have been working on the shop and doing some maintenance around the complex. And uh, there was, uh, there's some racks that we bought and then some tool 
boxes, really nice toolboxes. It actually, I actually like how everything fits. By the way, Al, I don't know if you meant or Bill meant to match our industrial raw railings. Absolutely, uh, but it, but it looks designer. awesome. He is a designer. He's clearly a designer. And our table, it's all it's all raw raw steel. Um, but I was like, ah, I don't know. It's you know a couple thousand dollars. I was like, well, if we can't afford that. We we can't. And honestly, we can't afford it. But we would have been undercutting ourselves, I think, by not having everything organized and efficient as, oh. as we grow, as we try to keep growing this new construction route. There's two or three, possibly four builds, and everything is so organized. Yeah. The amount of time saved from not going to rebuy the same things. We have 49 million boxes of one type of screw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now we won't do that. Now we won't do that. Now we won't, you know. Exactly. There's no redundancy. Yep. So, <clears throat> so that's one aspect that Lance and I are still going to look at. But the second is we've always talked about a quick feedback loop. Yep. And that quick back feed, feedback loop is going to be reinforced and has already reinforced this idea of increasing flow. Meaning by the time you get a project, how does it flow through your firm? So that you can bill out and then also so that you can complete that project so that you can build. build. So we've already talked about this with our staff with 5% Fridays of increasing our speed. I've talked to our engineer about that. I've sent out an email. But that's just another way to think about is how, where are the bottlenecks? What is holding up your projects? How can you reduce those bottlenecks so that you can increase flow? So besides the multiple streams of income... Right, that's that's great if you have it, but if you're very efficient at inefficient at executing, that's not going to work well. Not going to work well. So increase your flow, and then um, also you might need to get lean. Might need to get a little bit lean, a little bit nimble. I think we I think we mentioned this before. Like not as, as good a time as ever. Is, uh, check out the Lean Startup. That is an excellent book. It's still good. I don't know if there's a revised copy yet. I should look. We're, we're, I don't think we're a startup anymore. So, but it's still um, like, why would I read it again? Uh, the Lean Startup. I don't think there is a new book about it. Uh, it's not that old either. It's not that old. It is by Eric Rice, published in 2011. So if you look that up, I'm sure one other thing you probably see is you'll see like books, you know, uh, customers who viewed this item also like these other items, right? Uh, there's another one that he came out with. It's called The Startup Way. I, I have not read that one. That one looks like it is, uh, I don't know how new or not it is. I can't find it really quickly. But either way, you'll be able to find out. Like I think those kind of, I, those, 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 I wouldn't call them self-help books. I think they're just help books. Uh, of, of They might give you ideas that you wouldn't have never thought about how to yeah. be lean, mean, work a machine. Business books. That's yeah. there. Yep. Um, speaking about books. Do you have any clips from some books? Oh for man, us? I got some. I got so I meant to. I meant to talk. I, I mentioned this in the last podcast, I think, or the one before, and that one was uh, how to win. It was the book. It's called. Let me pull it up here. It's called How to Win Without Pitching. Jeff Eccles, who was on the Monday morning episode this coming up Monday, the Win Without Pitching Manifesto is fantastic, uh, and it's by Blair Ends. And there's two clips that I want to play for everybody. Uh, that I wrote down, and then there's also um, there's also the uh, let's see here, yeah, and then I want Alex to see what he has to say about it because he has not read this book, and I don't know if anybody else does it, but if you, if you have an iPhone and you have the Audible app, if you're not like getting your mind blown by some of these books, oh, I I am so hard. It's the best, and then and then I just like 
it is that is pure ecstasy to me when I'm like in the garden, listening to these books, and then or just I don't know doing something, and then um, uh, something will blow my mind, and then I'll be like, oh, I gotta I gotta bookmark that clip. You can mm-hmm. bookmark the clip, and then I put little notes in there because I want to come back and hopefully revisit them. So here we are. We'll revisit the first one. We cannot be effective, responsible designers if we allow the client to impose his process or truncate or otherwise marginalize ours. But let us not place all the blame on the client. Doctors face self-diagnosed patients as often as we do, but we are far more likely to proceed with such a flawed approach than any medical practitioner. We let the client dictate and drive the diagnostic process, usually because we have not bothered to understand, formalize, and explain our own. We have not taken control on this issue. We have not correlated our likelihood of high-quality outcomes to working from a defined and meaningful diagnostic process. We have not made this case in our own minds, and we have not made it to the client. So the client intervenes and fills the void in our own working process by deciding how much information and access we will be allowed in the pitch. Lacking our own process, we have little means to push back and argue for a better way. What did you think about that? So we have a lack of a process, right? So like we're just letting them diagnose what they need and what they want. Yeah. And so there's this other kind of short story book you can find it online. It's called Breaking the Time Barrier. And I, some person asked me about it. Lance and I recommended this about 10 years 10 ago. 10 years ago to this guy who wanted to start up his own business. And yeah. uh, for some reason, yeah, for some reason thought we were like, in, we were already in a position cool. to give advice. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I reread it. I reread it the other night. And I don't agree with it 100% because... In, in hindsight? In hindsight, do you not agree with it? In hindsight. Okay. Yep. And the reason why is because, uh, speaking of Amazon, uh, Audible, I listened to this book, The Goal, and I told you about it. It's about, it's a business book, but it's gone through, it's following a guy in a manufacturing plan. And it's fictitious, but it has a lot of great advice. And one of the big things is about throughput. Um, and, and, and you know, that's why I was kind of mentioning that. And it, it, because it basically says, you know, define your own client and then, you know, define the value. But it had some good stuff. And Lance made a master cheat sheet in our resources files for pitching. And we kind of went over this Mm -hmm. a couple episodes ago. But I added, so Lance had like, basically what's going to happen in the meeting, like the four pieces Mm -hmm. of what's going to happen. So I went in there and read Breaking the Time Barrier and then did like an overall, like, okay, this is what you're looking for, right? So like, you're supposed to probe, um, where appropriate, what the dreams and what the big goals of your clients are, right? So like I'm giving like, what's the feeling going in there, right? And then the client, um, so then you, then you can, you can even ask them like, uh, here, let me see what I wrote down. Do, 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 do. Okay. You like, have you ever asked your client, how will they know what they want? What, how will they know we have achieved what they want? Right. And it pauses them to think like mm-hmm. you're making a structure mm-hmm. because they might just say like my house is if my house isn't cramped, if it does is if it isn't cut up, that will be a goal and achievement. So then it's proving. So then once you make that model and show it to them, you're proving your value 
to them, right? Um, so uh, what pain are they trying to avoid? And you don't have to ask that question. You can just search through that. Or what pleasure are they trying to seek, right? And then it, it's, are you trying to elicit excitement, right? Or are you trying to elicit, elicit reassurance, you know? Um, and you can, you can, so sometimes the client will drive is what I'm getting at, but you need to know that there's this whole framework behind that. When they take the steering wheel, then you can say, okay, I know from experience and I can sort of pitch to that way and then make myself more valuable where they're at. Because here's the, here's the thing that, that I, I think some people gloss over. Some people value, I'm doing a shop. I want the drawings to do the shop. That's what they want. Like literally like just a shop. Mm-hmm. It's not a story about how their children will grow up in the shop and play in yeah. the barn and all that. And they want efficiency. So then if your firm is efficient, you can tout that, right? You, you can't say, hey, it's going to be great when your grandchildren's come and look at the shop. They'll be like, I'm not paying $10,000 uh-huh. for my, you know, just like a shop, bro. Just, just a shop. So what, what, what I'm trying to pivot from that is that essentially like know the different areas that you can approach and don't let, you can let them drive, but you're a co-driver. That makes sense. Well, sometimes I think you're a co-driver. Sometimes I think you're the driver, but I don't think you're ever the passenger. At that point, at that point, you're not, you're not practicing architecture. You know, I, I just don't think you're the passenger. Yeah. Yep. Because, and that, what I really liked, I, I like the analogy that they made of, of doctors, right? Because like, <laughs> we do this all the time as architects. I see this all the time in all the online communities and all the online forums. Like, why doesn't anybody value architects? Why doesn't anybody value architects? Well, we've said it before on this podcast. Number one, we're usually the one to break the sticker shock to everybody. We're always we're, we seem like a ne- we seem like a necessary evil to a lot of people, right? Especially if these if you're like a small yogurt shop uh, owner and you, you want to start a business, right? And you're just like, I just want to sell yogurt. That's what I sure. want to do is I want to sell yogurt. Okay, then how do I enable you to sell yogurt? Okay, know that. I'm going to diagnose your problem. And one of your problems is you got to get a building permit through the city. You got to pass the health inspection department. That's why one of the things we've been doing work. I don't even. Right, right, right. It's not, it's not just, I want to do a yogurt shop, draw these up and give me a stamp. It's okay. Wait, back up. We got to go through the building department. We got to go through the health department. We need to get H, HVAC involved, plumbing involved. Just let you know, this is the real world. Yep. Yep, exactly, exactly. So I think because so because nobody goes into a doctor's office and and diagnoses themselves. They they know that they're they are going to the doctor to get diagnosed, or they're going to an attorney to get out of some legal issue. You know, you're never really steering them. I and, think and, that, and if you do go, if you do go into the doctor with what you think you got, they go, okay, let's take some tests, let's diagnose this. Perfect. That's a perfect way. Yes, exactly. And that's the parallel, right? Yeah. So. One thing I don't think we've talked about, but I am having one of um, one of uh, the gentlemen that I work with the most at our firm. He he's been putting together. He so far we've put together two, and they are these flow charts of what does it take to do a Denver tenant finish, what does it take to do a Denver house. Both are very complicated actually at this point. Um, processes they take a lot of different professionals to bring in, so that way we are. We are having the client work with us to diagnose themselves in their project. And we're checking off all the things right from the beginning. So as soon as we sign them, 
we're actually giving them, giving them that sheet and saying, look, here's, here's how the process will work is one side, a general timeline. And then on the other side is along with that, actually it's all in one sheet. I'm sorry. Along with that is corresponding to that timeline. Here's, here's when the mechanical engineer is going to have to come in. Here's when you, you need to order survey right away. Then you're going to have to do this. And you might, if we're in the, if we're in 12 feet of the property line, you got to have a, we got to have shoring details and all kinds of stuff like that. But I think it helps. That is going to be our method of showing people here's a diagnosis. Yeah. And, and then here's how we solve these problems. Cool. Did so. you just have one clip or two? I got one more. Okay. I got one more. I got to pull it up here. This one I titled um, Rules. Uh, so we'll see. Policies of our own. We encounter far less client resistance when we preface our requirement with the words, it is our policy that. Free thinking is not just creative. Many of us weigh the free pitching problem and feel proud that it does not affect us. We don't do speculative creative, but our designs are merely the application of our strategy. And our strategy, when arrived at responsibly, is rooted in a thorough diagnosis. Each of the phases that precedes design or any other application work has a value at least as high as the application. Like creative, this thinking that precedes it should not be given away for free. So there was a quote in there and it was something like this. Our designs are a byproduct of our strategy or our process. That's very, very true. And I think when you're diagnosing the problem, then it's, hey, is this, is this, does this client just want efficient building permit? Want the nuts and bolts, but you've laid out the nuts and bolts. Or do they want a thorough investigation of a contrast between what they don't want, which is a cramped, short building, and they want, and you actually need to show them through renderings or, um, Sometimes you, know, you gotta prove it to them. Sometimes you have to show the bad option. I'm so convinced of that. Right, right. But like, you wouldn't spend the time to give re- interior renderings and walkthroughs for that shop client, but you would for someone who says they value that that's what they value, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there's one more clip. I'm not gonna do it today. Um, I am going to do it on next week and it's talking about money and I think it'll be, it'll be really good. But those are, I usually find like three or four highlights from each, from each book and I'll try to be a better about it with sharing them with all of you. Cool. Do we have our best friend, Nick? We do. Some clips from him. Absolutely. Hello, best friends. Good. A reading. Oh, how shall I its deeds recount or measure the untold amount of ills that it has done? From China's bright celestial land and into Arabia's thirsty sand, it journeyed with the sun. Or miles of bleak Siberian plains where Russian exiles toil in chains, it moved with noiseless tread. And as it slowly glided by, there fouled it across the sky the spirit of the dead. The Ural peaks by it were scaled, and every bar and barrier failed to turn it from its way. Slowly and surely on it came, heralded by its awful fame, increasing day by day. On Moscow's fair and famous town, where fell the first Napoleon's crown, it made a direful swoop. The rich, the poor, the high, the low, alike the various symptoms know, alike before it droop. 
Nor adverse winds nor floods of rain might stay the thrice accursed bane, and with unsparring hand, impartial, cruel, and severe, it traveled on allied with fear, and smote the fatherland. Fair Lise and forlorn Lorraine, the cause of bitterness and pain in many Gaelic breast, received the vile, incitate scourge, and from the towns with it emerge, and never stay nor rest. And now Europe groans aloud, and neath the heavy thundercloud, hushed is both the song and dance. The germs of illness wend their way to westward each succeeding day, and enter merry France. Fair land of Gaul, thy patriots brave, who fear not death and scorn the grave, cannot this foe oppose. Whose lonesome hand and cruel sting, whose poisonous breath and blighted wing, full well with thy cities know. In Calus port the illness stays, as did the French in former days, to threaten freedom's isle. But now no Nelson could o'erthrow this cruel, unconquerable foe, nor save it from its guile. Yet Father Neptune strove right well to moderate this plague of hell, and thwart it on its course. And though it passed the streak of brine and penetrated this thin line, it came with broken force. For though it ravaged far and wide both village, town, and countryside, its power to kill was o'er. And with the favoring winds of spring, blessed is the time of which I sing, it left our native shore. God shield our empire from the might of war, famine, plague, or blight, and all the power of hell. And keep it ever in the hands of those who fought against other lands, who fought and conquered well. It was a poem titled Influenza, written by a 15-year-old Winston Churchill in 1890. Toodles! So, I... I uh, I had to put my head down and focus on that one. Nick, I, how did you keep a straight face? <laughs> I was very happy when I got Nelson was their most favorite uh, favorite ab- admiral back in the day. And they're like, oh, Nelson couldn't even do it. Uh, I, I get it. And, and what, what, what I took from that, except that uh, poems are hard for me. I'm sure they're hard for you, too. <laughs> I can tell by Lance's <laughs> laughing. He, uh, it's he's just, like, it's I just carry the water. It's just, I, just, I know. Look, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> so, so I'll interject here. What I got from it was this has happened before. Yes, this has happened before, 100%. people. Uh, even even worse than it's happening right now. So, whatever that is to you. <sighs> you just can't keep humans down, man. I'm serious. Yeah, that's that's the we're, thing. We're like, worse than the. the influenza or the plague or any sort of bacteria we keep growing we keep growing we keep growing and uh, we're resilient and we adapt right so maybe that's what you should take from this is like okay how are you adapting to the situation right how, how and then does your ad- is your adaptation become permanent do you start to evolve like i think that's that's where it comes down to there's there's got to be exciting stuff out there still 
and opportunities for, for people to for people to tackle, right? Well, here's one thing. Here, a lot of people are talking about where is your supply chain and chain and changing your supply chain. Did you hear what Japan's doing? Yes. 20, 20 I think it's 20 billion. 20 billion for companies to relocate out of China and they'll give I think 90% of that if you re, you know like of that 20 billion if you really locate into Japan and 10% of that if you relocate in any other country. That's massive. So that means opportunities. I don't know I don't know how big of a shift it will be. Um, but people are are thinking about it for real. So construction plants, uh, different ways to manufacture in the United States might be coming. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, as usual, please, if you have not leave, uh, left us a five-star review, put uh, and you're thinking about a three-star review, just put five stars right on top of that. And please do us a favor and share this podcast with a friend. Talk to you next week.